So this morning, I want you guys to get make a huge uh, bridge welcome uh, to a pastor that's joining us today. His name is Pastor Kevin Bordeaux. He's going to bring it. Let's give it up for Pastor Kevin this morning. Well, good morning, Bridge family. How's everyone doing? You guys seem pretty excited for the 9 a.m. crowd, man. I'm uh, impressed with that. Usually our 9 a.m. crowd's like, huh. So I tell the coffee uh, team to make sure they hype the coffee up big time. Well, I'm Kevin. I'm from Thrive Church in Richmond, Virginia. But I grew up in the great metropolis of Turkey, North Carolina. So if you know Turkey, um, right, anybody know Turkey? Yeah, yeah, you, you've driven through it. Uh, and so I grew up there and recently took an assignment in Richmond, Virginia. We had a church that was down about 20 folks. And I went in there, a sanctuary this size. We could have shot a shotgun four ways and not hit anyone. And I uh, went in there, and through the Lord's gracious help, we've seen uh, God redeem over 300 people, um, 85 baptized in less than two years. And those, are, uh, and those are the numbers that really matter. And I want to say that Pastor Farrell Hardison has been a great friend to me and a mentor and someone who has supported me every step of the way. I sat here uh, two years ago in your older sanctuary in 2012 and shared the story of a church plant uh, that I was a part of that you guys helped give to. That church plant is still going today in Florida. So thank you guys. Uh, my heart's close to you, even though you may not know me, uh, through the staff here. I want to say thank you to the staff for all their hospitality. I got to the hotel room, and they had an awesome bag waiting for me of goodies and gifts. And, you know, life's just better than you get gifts, right? That's why birthdays and Christmas are so awesome. Well, I'm glad to be with you guys today. Uh, last week, a road trip. If you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4.20, and then we're going to live in Acts chapter 19 today. We're going to live there all day. Um, Brandon Goff, you guys enjoyed him last week. Um, he's a good friend of mine, and he said he didn't use many scriptures. He doesn't like to use the Bible. And so I was talking to him, and I said, well, what I'll do for you is I'll make up for it. Since you don't use the Bible very much, you know I'm joking, right? Uh, and you've got to laugh a lot with me, is that I will go ahead and speak 41 scriptures today to these guys and make up for everything that, that he missed out on. So if you know Brandon, make sure you Facebook him and say, uh, Pastor Kevin is making up for you today by using, going through uh, 41 scriptures. And I promise it will be fun today. It will not be um, arduous. Well, we've been talking about road trips the past month, and I want to share my favorite road trip with you. It was in 2001, I played in a Christian punk band called the Combat Junkies. Yes, we were Christian. And, uh, and so we were touring out in Oregon, going down I-5 to California, and we were just playing, and we had one of these little aerosol guns, you know, those little things that shoot the yellow pellets out, and uh, we would just shoot each other with them and play and all that, and so my bass player was driving. I was sitting in the, in the, in the uh, passenger seat, and I was like, man, you better drive. I'm going to take you out, son. We were playing, laughing. He was like, oh, please don't do that. Oh, <laughs> Well, we, we thought nothing of it. 20 minutes later, we're on Interstate 5 driving south. I was knocked out. We had about an eight-hour drive to uh, Northern California. And he said, hey, man, wake up. There's about eight state troopers behind us. I said, man, it's fine, dude. We're, we're just doing nothing wrong. Just, just keep driving. You driving speed limit? Yeah, I am. Seatbelt on? Yeah, okay, that's cool. I went back to sleep. He said, man, all their blue lights are on. <laughs> I said, well, just, just pull over. It's going to be okay. He pulled over, and then we heard... Driver of the vehicle, you are surrounded. <laughs> Put your right. And he's giving all these instructions. We're like, okay, what's he saying, man? What's he saying? If we don't do it right, they're going to shoot us. And so we had to roll out one window, hand out, hold the hand up. He had to get out and he had to walk back. It was scary. One by one, we all got out. And we had to go down and do like this. And um, when they got us out, finally they said, 
are you the, are, are you the passenger? I said, yes. He said, um, he put me up against the car and he put my head down. He says, um, you know, we, we've got you now. We understand there's a hostage situation. <laughs> Some little lady in Oregon called a hostage situation on us. Our drummer, our drummer was from Clinton, and, and he had never been out of Clinton before touring before, so you know, you, you know that type of life. So he's backing up. He's like, oh, my God, I've seen this on movies. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. <laughs> like he thought they were vigilante cops. And the cop found out that we were just a band with an airsoft gun. They got so mad they broke our gun, and they're like, we had a hostage situation last week, and we don't appreciate you guys playing like that. I will never forget that road trip. And today we're going to look at a road trip that was a little more productive and um, had a little more fruit in it. And it was Apostle Paul going to the city of Ephesus. And uh, we've been doing a whole summer teaching series in the book of Ephesians. And before you can really understand Ephesians, you've got to understand Acts chapter 19. And I want you to look at Ephesians 4.20. We're going to jump off there into Acts 19 today. But Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. And he said this to them. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. They were living like the devil. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, true, righteous, and holy. He was telling them that their life had been transformed by the gospel. And live out the new life that Jesus has given you by transformation of the gospel. And that's what I want to speak to you more about this morning as the gospel transforms. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the spirit of worship in this place today. We ask now that we could engage uh, you, Father, with our minds. We've worshipped you with our, with our heart and our soul. But now may we love you with all of our mind at this point. And may we receive your word, God, which is able to transform, deliver, and prepare us for your good works, God. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Well, when you look at the, the city of Ephesus, before you read Ephesians, you've got to know the backdrop of Ephesus. It was the largest city in Asia Minor, 250,000 people in the first century. Nothing like Turkey, right? Ephesus and Turkey, two different things. Even had a major port at Ephesus where, you, where ships came in. So there's a lot of diverse culture where people came in from all over the world to port there at Ephesus. Ephesus also had one of the biggest stadiums, 25,000 people. And they'd have these big gladiator competitions and things like you saw, you know, in the movies. Um, Ephesus had that there. But one thing unique about Ephesus that you've got to understand is there were no believers there before Paul got there. 250,000 people and there were no Christians in that city. The city was divided pretty much between Artemis and between the Jews. And so half of the, or more than half of the city worshiped this goddess named Diana. Or if you're named Diana, you would call her Artemis, depending on being Roman or Greek. Um, if you're named Diana, you can call her Artemis, and husbands, please do that. And so they worshiped this goddess. The whole city was given over to Diana. I mean, I want you to imagine a, a, a sports team that rules a town, right? I mean, there's hats, there's T-shirts, there's bracelets, there's everything about that team. That's how they were about Diana. The whole city of Ephesus loved Diana. Not only was she the goddess that they worshipped, but she was the economic engine which they, they lived off of. So think about that. 
If you lived in Ephesus, there was an 80% chance that your livelihood was, was from making shrines of Diana or Diana t-shirts or the baseball caps. or the, I mean, you uh, got your money from, from making things for Diana. So in Ephesus, the first thing you got to see here is that Paul was going into a city that was very highly, had very high demonic activity. And there were no believers there. That's what I love reading the book of Acts. We, we, you know, we read it so fast and go through it, we don't realize the power of what happened. I mean, if I told you your assignment is to go to the largest city in America, one of the three largest, there are no Christians there, and in a matter of two years, you're going to launch the most prominent church in the whole region. That's a pretty hefty goal, isn't it? That's exactly what Paul did. He goes into Ephesus, and two years later, Ephesus becomes the most predominant church in the whole, all of Asia Minor. When you read the book of Revelation, and don't call it Revelations, just helped you out there. You're, you're now a scholar. And, and, and you see in the first three chapters, there's seven churches in Revelation. Do you understand that most scholars believe that Ephesus planted the six other churches? Not only that, they had the Apostle John pastored them, and most scholars believe that Timothy pastored them. So you had a very prominent church that Paul goes into. But what we're going to look at today is when Paul goes in here on this road trip, there are no believers there. He goes to a city where there's no believers. He leaves, and the place is turned upside down. I see, that's what excites me. If Christianity is about coming to church and doing good things and going home and maintaining just a good lifestyle, please let's, let's, let me find something else to do. I want to go somewhere, like in Richmond, when I went there, my heart bleeds for that place. That where there's non-believers, there would be believers. I cried. Last baptism we had, we baptized 21 people this summer. And my heart just was full as we were baptizing those folks and watching them cry and get up out of the water and proclaim that I'm following Jesus. And, and we get to see Paul do this in an exponential way. And don't you look at Acts 19. We're going to walk through this passage today. Again, we're going to get a lot of scripture in. So I told Pastor Farrell the next series, he needs no more scriptures. He can use none at all because you'll get so much today, you won't need any more for a month. Amen? Don't say amen to that. I totally tricked you there. So you'll be paying attention, man. Quick on your feet. Quick on your feet. Look at Acts 19.1. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Now, I said there's no believers. These weren't Christian believers. They were believers in the Messiah. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? He asked him, no, they replied. We haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you uh, experience, he asked. They replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Now, see, I want you to just pause here for a second. Those first verses are so important to Paul and his ministry. Because Paul wasn't there um, as recorded in Acts 2 when Pentecost first came and people were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't get to see that. And so Paul gets to see here his own personal Pentecost. And not only that, but that was a stamp of approval that God wanted to work in that city. That was the amazing thing there that you see is that, that Paul has a stamp of approval that God's getting removed greatly in Ephesus. And I, let me just say this on, on, on those first verses. Always pray that God would empower you by his Holy Spirit. Because what Paul's getting ready to get into, and these guys who have joined him, these 12 men, 
is getting ready to, to, to go down. And you'll see, it, it's not pretty when Paul gets through in Ephesus. Look at verse 8. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. He went to the synagogue. He was a Jew, so he went to the people that he knew best. Verse 9 says, but some became stubborn. That never happens in church, does it? That's that church on the street, right? You guys never get stubborn hearing the word, do you? Rejecting his message, and watch this, and publicly speaking against the way. That was Christianity. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. He went to the people who were waiting for the Messiah first in Ephesus. He went to the Jews in Ephesus. And he shared about Messiah. He shared about Jesus. Remember, Paul was one of the top Jewish leaders. And they didn't want it. I mean, they began to cause division and, and go after him. I want you to watch what happens, what Paul does there. He does something that is unique that we do not see in any other places in the book of Acts. Then watch this. It says that then he held daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This is important here. This went on for the next two years. So the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Here's what he did. The philosophers would meet from 8 to about 1 o'clock every day. And they would just discuss new ideas, like philosophy class. You ever been that in college, right? It's confusing, it's contorted, you just you leave and you're more confused. And they would sit and talk about new ideas the whole time. Well, most believe that from 1 to 4, they all took a nap from all that discussing. Kind of what you'll do today, right? You'll leave here and get a nap. Well, at 4 o'clock, they would reconvene for several more hours and talk and, and more would give discussions. Well, they believed that Paul would come in at that point in time and he would um, actually teach from 1 to 4 every day. Like Tyrannus, for some reason, liked his new idea. He had to go to a secular venue to share the gospel because the people who should have been receiving Messiah didn't want to hear it. Isn't that amazing? He went to a philosophy hall and had to share the gospel. And the Bible says that, that people begin to receive it. The, and, and for two years, he did this. Now watch this in verse 11. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons were, had been laid, um, had, that had merely touched his skin, were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. Now we're going to talk about this a little bit, but I want you to see what God did there. He doesn't do this anywhere else in the book of Acts, right? And it's only in Ephesus that, that he does this through Paul. He uses Paul in a unique and unusual way to reach the people right there in Ephesus. And we're going to talk about this a little later, but God wants to use you in a unique way to reach the people that he's placed you around. Don't go start a handkerchief ministry after you or apron ministry after you hear this sermon. Please don't do that. I don't believe this was meant to be reproduced because Paul didn't reproduce it. He literally followed Jesus, and Jesus used him to use handkerchiefs. I hope that they were clean, but he gave them to people, and they got healed. Now, the next uh, little passage we walk through is awesome here, too. You see more of miracles happening, but these next couple verses are my favorite in the book of Acts. Don't tell anybody, especially my church, this. But this is one of the most awesome passages ever. Now, watch this in verse 13. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. I don't know how they got this job. Seems pretty cool, don't it? Kind of what you watch in the movies. They're going around as Jews and they're casting out evil spirits. They are not Christians. And watch this. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. See, they have been doing it the hard way. If you've seen any of those really scary, weird movies where they do exor exorcisms, 
And I know what y'all people watch because you, you're on social media. Don't be trouble. Like, yeah, I've never seen it. Yes, you have. And when they would go into those exorcists, you've seen it where the people's heads would turn around, they'd climb up walls, and they'd do all that. It got crazy, right? That's what was happening with the Jews there. It was hard. And they were fighting. These, and they saw Jesus and Paul do it, and they're like, hey, demon, come out. And he's gone. They're like, man, I'm using the name of Jesus. That looks easy. Now watch what happens here. I love this. They said, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. And the seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? You know you're in trouble when that happens, right? And can you hear the voice? I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Prayer counselors, when you're praying, if that happens, you, you are in trouble. And watch what happens here. Verse 16, then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Let me just say this. They went into that fight with their clothes on. They came out from that fight with their clothes off. I don't care. That's a bad loss, isn't it? You can't leave that fight talking about, yeah, I, I got a couple good licks in. It's like, dude, you lost your pants in the fight, bro. You got drug. You got worked over, right? And these guys get worked over because they were trying to use the name of Jesus, weren't believers. But I want you to realize something that's happening here. I told you that Ephesus was, um, was highly demonic, and you're seeing here that that was the case. And you don't see a lot of this in America. Overseas, you see much more of it. But in Ephesus, in that time, it was very, because Diana was worshipped. A false god was worshipped. That place was just highly demonic you see that happening but watch this what this story does that's why and this is why i love the story not just because some guys got i just i picture them going in and running out with their clothes i mean that's a bad beating i don't think i've ever got beaten up that bad verse 17 says this the story of what happened spread quickly all through ephesus to jews and greeks alike a solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the lord was of jesus was greatly honored a city that does not know who Jesus is, a city far from God, worshiping false gods and false goddesses. It says a solemn fear descended on it. I mean, could you imagine at their dinner tables, they're saying, hey, man, do you hear what happened to, to uh, Sceva and his boys? Yeah, man. This, this, Jesus, this Jesus is real. We've never seen Diana do something like that. And you start to see the gospel seep into this city to transform this city. Now watch what happens in verse 18. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. Now watch this here. Some of you aren't impressed yet. You'll be impressed here. The value of the books was several million dollars. Could you imagine that? See, in Richmond, the occult activity is super high. There's a divine magic and novelty store right down from my house, been open for years, just several of them. I would love to see those dudes go up, have a bonfire, and be burning those things. I'm like, we're following Jesus. That's, and several million dollars. You know, would you be able to give up seven million dollars because you knew it didn't honor the Lord because you now were following Jesus. They made a big sacrifice. So you're watching. And then verse 20 is, is the synopsis. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. See, wouldn't that be great if that's the story of the bridge here in the Goldsboro and Princeton and Smithfield areas is that the word of the Lord spread powerfully and had great effect. That's my prayer weekly for Thrive Church and for the surrounding churches and for the metro Richmond area is that the word of the Lord would spread and have effect in people's lives. 
And verse 21 says this, Afterwards Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia before coming to Jerusalem. And after that he said, I must go to Rome. That was Paul's purpose if you read Acts. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. So Paul leaves. He takes another little road trip. Don't you see what happens here? This is key. And I told you it gets ugly. It gets ugly from this point forward. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way or Christians. Watch this. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Dude is upset because sales are going down for Artemis shrines, right? Nobody's buying shrines for Artemis anymore. And he is ticked off because his sales are going down. What happens here? I want you to imagine this here. Uh, the pornography industry in America brings in billions of dollars a year. I want you to imagine in Los Angeles, California, if that industry began to shut down, what would happen? That's what's happening in Ephesus. Their largest economic engine begins to shut down. So Demetrius stands up. He says, I can't have this. I want you to see what happens here. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. He said, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. So you see where his heart's at, right? But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done that not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. Uh, yes, you are, Demetrius. <laughs> I'm also concerned that the temple, the great goddess Artemis, will lose its influence. That Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the whole province of Asia and around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. Let's just translate that. Guys, I don't want to lose my vacation home we got to keep this thing going because Artemis is our livelihood. Like I said, when those guys gave their life to Jesus, they lost all their livelihood. They could no longer work, work making shrines for Artemis. I mean, it was radical transformation, and it was changing the whole culture of the most prominent city in Asia Minor during that time. At this, their anger boiled, and they began to shout, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater. Remember the one I said they held 25,000? The, um, you know, the, the PNC arena that NC State plays in, 25,000. That place full of people as they beat Carolina Tar Heels to death. Dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. I feel bad for Gaius and Aristarchus, don't you? They're like, yeah, man, we'll go with you. We're going to see the, we're, we're going on a missionary trip, and they get dragged into an amphitheater. That's a bad day, right? It's like, I didn't sign up for this, Paul. I just came to share the gospel, bro. Now watch this here. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. I mean, do, do, do you see the irony in that? It's like, there, there's guys running to the amphitheater. They get in there like, ah, yeah, wow. Like, what's going on? I don't know, dude, but this is wild. You know what's happening, Bill? I ain't got a clue. I just saw everybody run. They had no clue what was happening. This whole place is filled in confusion. I, I, I love it. I, when I read the Bible, I, I, I see the humor in it. And it says, Then the, Jew, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motions for silence and tried to speak. Now, I want you to watch this here. But when the crowd realized that Alexander was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. 
great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, can you imagine the Roman Colosseum right now? Full of people, hearing the echoes throughout the city. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, these people are ticked. 25,000 or more in that place. When's the last time you shot up for two hours about anything? Maybe you and your wife, last fight you had? <laughs> that was only 30 minutes, good. You weren't going for two hours. <laughs> At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, and I love this guy, he is so politic. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and don't do anything rash. Don't make any sudden moves. <laughs> you have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear their case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we're in danger of being charged and rioting by the Roman government since there's no cause for all this commotion. He was scared he was going to lose his job, too. He's like, dude, if Rome's got to come down, because Rome was all over that, if they got to come down here and deal with this, I'm out. They will fire me and put me in jail, possibly. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. And then he dismissed them and they dispersed. Now, I read that to you because that's a whole narrative. That's a story that you've got to know about one of the most powerful road trips that Paul ever took. We know more about Ephesus than any other church or any other city from the Bible. And we see that Paul goes into a city where nobody knew Jesus. He goes in with a couple of crazy friends. And when he leaves, the whole city is turned upside down. The most prominent church in Asia Minor. And here's what I want to do this morning in the next few minutes that we have is pull two purposes from Paul's two years at Ephesus that will also be your purposes. The first one to write in your, your notes is this today. Number one is this. The first purpose is unique gospel proclamation. Unique gospel proclamation. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 11 and 12 in Acts 19 again one more time. It says that God gave uh, Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. And when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Now, I, I want you to see the power of what's happening here. God used Paul in a unique way to reach the people that he sent him to. As I said before, I don't believe that God wants us to go start handkerchief ministries. Uh, matter of fact, when I did this, we gave everybody in our church handkerchiefs. And I said, do not take this and, and try to sell it or put oil on it and get on TV. You've seen guys on TV. You can get your, you ever seen that before? When I, when I first got saved, it freaked me out, man. We'll, we'll sell you some handkerchiefs. The purpose is not that we all get handkerchiefs and start handkerchiefs ministries in Goldsboro. If you do that, Pastor Farrell will be mad at me <laughs> for, for speaking this. The purpose that we see here of what God did, God used Paul uniquely to reach the people in that area with unique strategies. It was unique gospel proclamation. And I really believe that one of the areas that, that we're really losing it and missing it in America is that we have all lost the idea that God wants to use us uniquely to reach people in our circles. We believe it's the church's job to reach people, right? We believe it's Pastor Farrell's job or Pastor Andy's job or, or, or one of the staff to reach people. But realize what happened here through Paul, God wants to do through you. He has placed you in your own personal Ephesus. 
Now that may be your, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your job. I don't know what your personal emphasis is, but God wants to reach people far from God through you. That's the truth of it. And one thing we've really been doing at, at, at our church is this, is that we want people to live on mission that means everywhere you go, when you go today to eat lunch and that waitress comes there, don't be like, yeah, I want this and I want that. And you just continue. Stop and talk with that girl or that guy. Make sure you tip them well. Everywhere you go, you're on mission. If you read the book of Acts, these guys were like that, man. They didn't have to do missions trips. They were a missions trip. And God wants to use you uniquely to reach this area. That's what God's doing with the bridge here. This church is unique to this area. I grew up in Turkey. I know what church looks like. In most churches. It don't look like this, does it? But it's unique reaching people that other ones can't reach. And the same thing about those churches. They're, they're reaching folks that maybe you can't reach. When I first got saved, um, I, I had a mohawk. I had piercings. I've got tattoos. Let's see, I see y'all judging me right now. Look at you. I, I, I know how y'all Christians are. Be judging folks. He let that boy speak in his church. But I got saved radically and gave my life to Christ, and all I knew was, was I liked hardcore punk rock music, fast, loud, and I skateboarded. I didn't go to church. I didn't know much about church. I, I got saved at Clinton PH Church in 99, and all I knew at that point is I wanted to share the gospel with everyone that I knew. So, so what I did was this. I started a Christian punk rock band, and I'm talking about loud, fast, hardcore if I played it right now, some of you would be like, what is that? But I, I didn't know any better. I didn't know what worship music was. I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know there was Christian worship. I just knew I wanted to share the gospel. So what I did was I wrote these really hard songs and just put scripture to it. I'd sit down and write out in my bedroom with a guitar and write scriptures. And then we would go into the darkest places that there were around America. And God opened doors for us to tour. And we would share the gospel in places. We, we, you know, we would play in places where um, another band that played with us there, and, and I'm going uh, to say this, and please, I'm just quoting their, their, their guitar strap. The Ray Grady's, their guitar strap said eternal life would suck. That's, that's, that's where we went to share the gospel. They had tattoos that were, that, that were anti-religion and anti their songs were against Jesus. And I said, God, we're going to go into that stuff, and we're going to share the gospel with people. And you know where... I look back now, and it was the greatest days of sharing the gospel in my life. We would be at a keg party after the show, and no, we weren't drinking the keg, but we'd be hanging out with those guys. And I remember one guy saying, man, I hate Christians. They're this and they're that, but man, we love you guys. You actually make Jesus seem kind of cool. And, and, and I look back, and you know the folks that tried to get us to stop doing that were church people. What are you doing? You got mohawks, and you need to run, run, run. And, they, they were just, and, and, and I thought, man, maybe I'm doing, and for a while I thought I was doing something wrong. And it's only until recently I looked back and realized that that was my handkerchief ministry in that day and time. My handkerchief ministry was going around and doing, God was doing unusual miracles through us. That we were sharing the gospel to people who would never step in a church, who hated church, who would drive by churches and think, man, they're full of hypocrites. I would never go there. And to this day, I get messages on Facebook from these guys. I'm like, man, I really love your band. We're still, man, you know, we're, and, and, and they're far from God. like, I'm listening to your CD singing these songs, and all these songs have scriptures all in them, and they're quoting scriptures, and they're quoting scriptures. I'm believing. Um, one guy, I'll never forget, in Tacoma, Washington, he said, you shared the gospel that night. I knew I needed a change. I made a change, and I'm a youth pastor today. Now, now I, I want you to, amen. 
And I want you to realize that, that the bridge is not here to, to get you to, 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 to leave people who don't know Jesus and just come to church. They want to empower you to go into your Ephesus and uniquely proclaim the gospel. Um, one thing I love about our small groups that thrive is this. Every small group that meets like this has to do this. They all do outreach to their community. And one of the things they've been doing is hosting block parties for all their, all their neighbors. And seeing neighbors that would never come over are now coming over eating hot dogs with them and just hanging out and talking. And see, guys, I think that if, if I could say anything today from this, this first point to you is this. God has called you on mission. Do you know your neighbor's name? And let me say this. If you don't, if you don't spend time with your neighbors who are far from God, do not sign up to go on a missions trip and do not raise thousands of dollars. Because if you're not spending time with your neighbors here, don't go reach somebody's neighbors over there. I'm telling you what, man, everybody on my street is far from God. They're, they're, there's a lesbian couple that lives right beside me. Man, I help them move in, dude. I'm hanging out with them. I'm encouraging them, talking to them. Yeah, strange, isn't it? Couple next to me, man, retired. They don't know Jesus at all, and I'm building relationship with them. And one day I'm going to drop the gospel bomb on them. The new campus we just started is a half a mile from the area that we're in. And I just want my heart for you is that you go and when, when you pull up to your driveway and, you, and, you, and you're in your community, you're at your job, you are on mission. People ask me all the time, when did you get the call to ministry? The call to ministry was when I was at a job working at SNW Concrete in Clinton, North Carolina. And I walked across the little alleyway one day with my, my lunch and God said, this is your church. These are your people. And your, 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 your sermon is your life to them, and they will judge Jesus based on you. And I would fast and pray once a month in the bathroom floor in that concrete and pray for those men. Today, the man who runs that plant is a believer. He said, man, thank you so much for sharing the gospel with me. I want you to understand something, guys, that your Ephesus is waiting for you to uniquely share the gospel in your circle. And here's what happens. Here's point number two. When, that, when, when you uniquely proclaim the gospel in your handkerchief ministry, Here's what happens. Gospel transformation happens. And true transformation is a byproduct of the gospel. And what we looked at in Acts 19, 17 through 20 that we had up there on the screen was, was this right here. People burned thousands of dollars of books. Thousands, millions, corporately because they were following Jesus. When, when, when the gospel is uniquely proclaimed, I want you to realize transformation takes place. I mean, some of you, you know, you, you watch so much TV, you are worried and you are scared of where America's going. Oh, America's going downhill. I don't know what we're going to do. We're in trouble. Ah. Friends, the gospel is best in these environments. The gospel is buoyant. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you think America's bad, look at first century Rome. Look at first century Jerusalem. Look at Asia Minor. It was nowhere compared to where it is today. And I'm going to tell you something, the hope that we have in America is not in Washington, D.C., but it's in Jesus transforming hearts and lives. And if he transforms a heart and, and, and a life, you don't have to try to get government to change people. And that's what we're looking at because we're not living on mission and we don't believe in true transformation of the gospel. Um, that's the thing that drives my heart the most is seeing people's lives change, seeing them burn books and getting rid of the, the lifestyle they, they used to live and then turning to serve Jesus. And that's what happened there. Transformation happened in Ephesus. When I first got saved, we had a bonfire. You know the youth group bonfires? You ever had one? You guys ever know? Okay, I see that hand. Amen. See that hand over there? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We did a youth group bonfire, and I took all the stuff 
that represented my old life, and I burned it. Boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff that I burned. Some of it not bad, some of it not good, but I got rid of it, and teenagers did that. See, in our lives, you know if you've really received the gospel because you're being transformed. You know that. Now, if you're like me, some people are advanced class, right? They transform really quickly. Some it takes a lot longer. Um, It takes me a lot longer. God's very patient with me. But one byproduct of that is gospel transformation. And you have got to believe in your heart of hearts that God can and will transform people. You cannot look at them as they are, but you've got to look at them as what the gospel can make them. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all men, Jews and Greeks alike. And so when you, my heart for you when you leave this place today, not only will you proclaim the gospel, but you believe that it can transform. You believe that it can change lives. And I'll close here with this today. I had a, a, an experience at East Carolina University. I went there for about three semesters, and they asked me never to come back again. Uh, really, uh, I got busted with drugs twice and a couple fights. And um, I'll never forget there was a young man that walked up to me, and I was sitting there coughing up phlegm. I'd smoked about 15 blunts the night before. That's marijuana wrapped in a, a Philly blunt, if you don't know that. That's good if you don't. And I, I mean, I was just coughing up phlegm. I thought I was cool. And this guy said, hey, man, you okay? And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, man. I said, I, I smoked 15 blunts last night, partied hard. I thought I was going to impress him. And he said to me, he said, man, Jesus can change your life. He loves you. I said, man, I know all that, that God stuff, man. You know, my grandma and grandpa. He said, no, no, no. He's, it, he said, it's not God stuff. Jesus loves you and cares. He wants a relationship with you. This guy, we're sitting in a bathroom doing this. You know, it, bathroom conversations are difficult anyway, right? I mean, for men. I mean, men are just like, we don't even want to look at each other. We're in the bathroom. Just go ahead. And, and, and I said, I'll do all that when, when, when I can get ready. He said, no, man. He said, Jesus can change and transform your life. He said, I'm going to be praying for you. And I felt something. It was the anointing, brother. I mean, really it was. It was the power of God at that point. And I, I left that place, and I thought, man, that was, I feel weird. Friends, it was several months later I got saved. I never saw this guy again. I don't know where he's at today. But he believed that the gospel could transform, and therefore he uniquely proclaimed the gospel in a bathroom at East Carolina University. And I'm sitting here today sharing that to you because somebody knew the gospel could transform lives. See, my heart for you today is that you go into your Ephesus and understand that God can transform lives in your neighborhood, at your job, in your community. Don't ever look at anybody as they are, but as the gospel can make them. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes with me today. Your head bowed and your eyes closed, and this is just a chance for you to, to focus. Because if you're like me, ADD kicks in if you're looking around. And some of you are sitting here today and you've come to the bridge today. And you know coming here today that it's it's that day. My day was March 1st, 1999. I came in. My palms were sweaty at this time. My heart was racing. And I knew it was time for new life. I knew it was time to repent of my sins, to accept Jesus and let him change me. I made that declaration. For some of you today, it's your time to make that declaration. God wants to give you new life. You can hit the reset button. And he wants to do great things through you. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Kevin, man, I want to know Jesus. I, I I need to recommit or I need to, for the first time, make Christ my Savior. 
I want to make that commitment today. All I'm going to ask you to do is just lift your hand. I'm not going to call you out or, or embarrass you in here. But I want you to say, that's me today, Kevin. I need to make a, a, a commitment to Christ. And just lift your hand in this place. That's you. Amen. Amen. Hands going up all over this place. I see you over there. Amen. Anybody else? That's me. That's me. Amen. I, right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And maybe you didn't want to raise your hand. But when you pray this prayer at this point, you are right with God. You have his righteousness, and you are a Christian, fully redeemed. And I want you to right now, where you're sitting, pray this prayer after me. You can say, Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again for my sins. I confess today Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior, and I choose to commit to live for him all the rest of the days of my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The rest of you, head bowed and your eyes closed in here. If you uh, didn't need that prayer, I do want to pray for you. And if you just prayed that prayer with me uh, a moment ago, make sure you talk to somebody at the bridge today, a staff member, let them know so they can get your resources. But the rest of you in here today, you're saying, Kevin, I, I know Christ. But I really feel like, feel like my Christian life has become dull. I don't have an Ephesus. I just come to church. I listen. I go home. Even I may serve a little bit. But I want to live on mission. I want to live an adventure like Paul lived. I want to see lives change in my life. I don't want God to pass me by. And I want you to pray for me that God would help me to uniquely reach the people in my circles. If you want to pray for that today, just lift your hands. That's me today. I want to uniquely reach the people in my circles. Amen. All it takes is one person in here. We'll rock this area. I want to pray for you right now where you're at. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for, for Lord, the recording of Scripture. I just want to say thank you for that, Lord, that we see Paul going into places and changing them. Now, God, I pray for everyone who, lifted, who raised their hand and said, I want to bring change in my circles. I want to bring change uh, to where I'm at. I pray for them right now that you give them courage, you give them strength, and that, God, your spirit would help them to do this. We pray that your power would move in their life, and, God, they would see change in their neighbors, in their family, in their coworkers. We ask that as they uniquely proclaim the gospel, we would see transformation in people's lives. I pray right now for that. And, God, give them a heart to pray for their Ephesus, to pray for their circles, Lord. And Father, we thank you this morning. We bless you this morning. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray.